Hello and welcome to the Japan Archives, a podcast where we'll be delving into the histories and mythologies from Japan's long history. I'm your host, Thomas. And I'm your co-host, Heather. We'll also be reading a poem for you every week and giving a little history about the poet who wrote it. Ikimashou! I want to make you aware of the sensitive topics we will be sharing today. We will do our best to present this information to you as educational and encourage you to do further research as well. Due to the respect we wish to portray this topic, regarding the show format, Thomas and I discussed and agreed to delay our segment on Sinyu until next week. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to the Japan Archives, episode 42b. Finishing off our tale of calling Ingram. Also, very quick before I start, I realized when I did the show notes for last week's episode, I didn't actually include any pictures of the different cherry tree varieties we did discuss. So show notes for this week, I am going to try and include a picture of all the different types of cherries we've included at the bottom of the show notes if you are interested in what they actually look like. But with that out the way, yeah, I can jump straight into the episode. So do you remember where we left off last week? Yes, he was getting ready to send some trees back to Japan. He was. So he had returned back from Japan, his second visit, which was to be his last. He'd seen the country, had undergone rapid change as they tried to industrialize their nation. And yes, he'd been noticing a lot of cherry trees had been disappearing and he collected lots of samples to have them sent home to him. And now, like we said last week, it... Now had come the time for the cherries to return to Japan. So finally, we see in the 1930s, this was when he finally wanted to send the trees back to Japan. And the first variety he wanted to send was the Taihaku cherry tree. Now, he wanted to send this one in particular because when he went along the Arakawa River, when he was given a tour there by Seisaku-san, the man had shown him an old scroll as well during their walk. The scroll in question, Seisaku said it had been drawn by his grandfather, but in the scroll there was a particular tree that Seisaku said could no longer be found on the Arakawa River. And Colin Wood, immediately seeing the scroll, seeing the tree depicted, he knew that this was a tree in his own garden, and it was the Taihaku tree. Due to this, and due to the fact that Seisaku could no longer find this tree, and he had become possibly quite good friends with him, he decided this was going to be the first tree. So he initially sent some of this variety of tree to the Cherry Association in Tokyo, alongside cuttings of another type of tree known as the Daikoku. Sadly, this first attempt did not work, and they did wither away on their way to Japan. And so he sent another batch of the Taihaku to a cherry enthusiast in Kyoto called Masuhiko Kayama. This man came from a family who protected the temple of Ninaji, and Ingram hoped that if the cuttings that he sent could be properly grafted after they had reached Japan, they would survive well inside the temple grounds. Kayama then asked for the help from a friend known as Toe Monsano. This was one of many who had held this name over the generations as it was a name passed on from father to son. 
and they were all a family of cherry enthusiasts known as the Sakuramori or cherry guardians. They gave advice for these new cuttings Ingram was sending and they advised if the new cuttings he was sending were to survive that they should be embedded inside daikon radishes so that they could maintain their moisture on their journey. And that is precisely how they were shipped. Oh, that's clever. It is clever, isn't it? But again, this did fail. And Toemon at the time was trying to figure out why this could be. And he was thinking that if these plants were being shipped via the equator, it would mean that the heat would cause these shoots to sprout initially. But then by the time they reached Japan, where it was much colder, the shoots would then have died. And so they advised Ingram to try again but this time to send them via the Trans-Siberian Railway, and instead of using radishes, to use potatoes for moisture. And this time, it worked. They arrived, and the cuttings were alive. Now, these cuttings, they went on at first to fill Toemon's garden while they initially grew them, and three years later, they took the cuttings from the new trees and expanded them beyond their home into the temple and to other areas around. Sadly, there were some people who didn't see these shipments as something that Japan wanted. They weren't seen in the best of light. Political changes in Japan at the time were seeing England and other countries more and more as a potential enemy. And so the idea of accepting cherry trees from an Englishman had, for some at least, almost become an unthinkable act. We know that one man actually said, How does Ingram know Taihaku is actually extinct in Japan? Our cherry varieties are disappearing, but we'll definitely find it somewhere. Don't accept Ingram's offer, it is unworthy. Now this advice was ignored by the two men who accepted the cuttings, and these cuttings which were initially brought here to, I suppose, not only help Japan, but to make his friend Seisaku happy. I'm afraid to say that Seisaku did die, before learning about the Taihaku's return to Japan, which Ingram did regret for the rest of his life. And the 14th Toemon Sano, to have held this name, also sadly died in 1934, before the trees that were sent blossomed for the first time. And as sad as this all was for Ingram, he also saw it as a success story, stating in 1948 that from that tiny nucleus of Taihaku trees, Tens of thousands of trees have been propagated. From a chance meeting in a provincial town, this tree was miraculously saved from extinction. So perhaps even though Seisaku never got to see the trees, at least Mr. Ingram was happy that his friend would have been happy if he had known. So at least the legacy of the trees coming back and blooming his friend could rest happy, perhaps, even if he never got a chance to see him, that he could honor his friend by bringing the trees over. Yeah, I like that idea. I think he, even though Sad and his friend didn't see it, the idea that they were finally there, which is what his friend wanted, it would have appeased him in some way. So having lost his friend Seisaku, Ingram gained a new confidant by the name of Masuhiko Kayama, who we briefly mentioned. And the two of them started writing letters to one another, Kayama also sent in, sending, sending more cherry samples from Ninaji and the Hirano Shrine. And now these new cuttings which he was sending to England, he also used the tried and tested potato method, as well as attempting a different route via Canada by placing the cuttings in a thermos flask. 
So we even have a poem written by Kayama, which he wrote to Ingram in 1932, and he called this song the the Song to the Cherries. And I've paraphrased it a little here, but I think Heather would like to read it for you all. Oh, cherries, cherries, my dear cherries. Every spring your blossoms are a chain of friendship between England and Japan. You are a speechless diplomat. Jumping back a little to the time when he was attempting to return the Taihaku home, we finally start to see Ingram now looking at the idea of hybridizing the different cherry trees to make even more new varieties. And this was actually something that didn't even happen in Japan until after the events of World War II. One such tree he would later give the name of Umineko, or black-tailed gull. Not cat. Not cat. No. I I thought that as well when I saw the translation. Hmm. And this tree did come about through natural hybridization in his garden, right? As yet, Ingram had not done the hybridization himself. So it was essentially a happy accident. They just kind of pollinated each other and then a new tree. Oh, beautiful. They did. Ingram played a role in this, and this new tree was born from the hybridization of an Oshima cherry and a smaller Mame Zakura tree. And after Ingram had seen this, seen that it was possible, he wanted to be the first person to hybridize cherries. And so he called out to a friend known as John Charles Williams, who was an expert in hybridizing rhododendrons at the time. And here Ingram learned that if he was to attempt this, it would be an exceedingly difficult road, and that the failures would far outweigh the successes. Now, the process itself was very delicate. The female parent he would often keep in a greenhouse to avoid unwanted pollination. When that tree came into bud, but before the buds actually opened, he would then cut off the stamen of the plant, which holds the plant's pollen. And once the pistils, or the female organs of the plant, were ready to be pollinated, he would then take pollen from the tree that he wished to be the male parent, and then he would pollinate the female and cause hybridization. Now at times this would take a long time with blossoms blooming at different periods of the year so it would be a so it would definitely take weeks Mm. between the different blossoms so a lot of patience would have been involved for sure. I'm getting memories of of a was it elementary school science class where you had to color color the pictures of the pistols and stamens I'm I'm picturing now in my head, the sheets we had to color. I also had to do that when I was at school. Mm. Mm -hmm. I always loved the lessons where you got to color in things. They were always fun. So what trees did he choose for the first attempt? For years, Ingram had loved this large sergeant cherry tree from the slopes of Mount Fuji. And he'd also loved the variety known as the Kanhizakura cherry from Taiwan, which had a deep red, if not purple-tinted blossom. And due to the beauty of both of these trees, he could only see a beautiful child being born from their cross-pollinization. Obviously, each time you do this, it would take years to see your final result as you waited for the new tree to grow and finally have its first bloom. But sadly, even though he loved the beauty of these two trees, the new tree that was created only produced a bloom of dirty white and Ingram unfortunately found himself bitterly disappointed. He did try again. This time, he kept the Kanhi Zakura type, and instead he replaced the Sergeant Cherry with the Mame Zakura. The only added difficulty to this attempt was, A, 
he did not have his own Kanhizakura cherry tree. And B, they bloomed in different months. One bloomed in February and one bloomed in April. Oh. So to remedy this, remember how we said he had connections to Kew Gardens? He ventured to Kew Gardens where they had their own Kanhizakura. And he managed to obtain pollen from the tree. And he then managed to preserve the pollen for two months before the Mamizakura was ready for cross-pollinization. Unfortunately, these, the union of these two trees did give him the success that he wanted. He dubbed this new tree the Okame, after the Japanese deity of good fortune. And interestingly, it bloomed in March, between the months of its parents. And it said that the blossoms on this tree were tiny blossoms tinted with pink. Later, he, we do know he had a few other successes, a tree which he later called the Kusa. After hybridizing trees from Taiwan and Hokkaido, something which could have never happened in the wild. But all of this would have to be put on the back burner for a while. The world was obviously getting close to World War II. The world was going to undergo some big changes. And during World War II, we know that Ingram enlisted in one of the many local defense volunteer forces to patrol the coast and ensure there was no invasion. He did not fight in the front lines due to his age. And now we'll jump back to Japan and see that everything there was also changing. The shrine of Yasukuni in Tokyo had been built initially to commemorate those who had died in the Boshin War. But soon it had also come to encompass those from all the other war wars after the Boshin War and up to World War I. This shrine endeavoured to glorify the emperor as well as the dead, to the point that the fallen soldiers were even dubbed as gods of war. And because of this, the Japanese people worshipped them. Soldiers around this time were being taught that if they died, they would live on forever as cherry trees in this shrine's ground. A shrine that had been filled on the whole with the short-lived and easy-to-care-for Somei Yoshino cherries that we mentioned last week. Now, before all of this, throughout the long history of Japan, cherry trees had always been a sign of starting afresh. It was a sign of a new life. It was often the start, the symbol of the new year in Japan. As the Meiji government had taken control, as we worked, came closer and closer to World War II, these cherry blossoms had gone from the meaning of living to the meaning of falling. And the idea of falling soon became the idea of dying for the emperor and your country, because you would live on anyway as a cherry tree at the shrine after your death. And so a tree which was once a symbol of a fresh start was now becoming a symbol of sacrifice and death for the state. Like I said, all of this stemmed back to the Meiji Restoration, when a country divided by shoguns and provinces was united into a proper state. Until then, the Japanese people saw themselves more as people from the province they came from, and they weren't really seeing themselves as Japanese on the whole. And so the government needed a way to unite them. And first on the list was reteaching people that the emperor was divine. Also along with this came the idea of bushi, or moral ethics. Then came the idea of Yamato Damashi, or the Japanese spirit. And finally came the cherry blossom ideology. In fact, I found a book from the 1900s, the Bushido, the soul of Japan, stated that the cherry tree was a symbol of Japan and that, and that it was ever ready to depart at the call of nature. And so we can see that before World War II and even World War I, blossoms were being given the idea of sacrifice and death. 
Another book called Loyalty and Morality by Kiyoshi Hiraizumi stated, In case of emergency, we need to fall like cherry blossoms for the emperor. We don't rejoice over the blossom, we rejoice over the flowers falling. And this opinion was exemplified by the Somi Yoshino, which had come to dominate Japan by the 1930s, as they all bloomed at the same time, and then all their blossoms fell at the same time. So where exactly did this tree come from? As far as we can tell, it didn't exist before 1860, originated from a nursery in Somi, north of Tokyo. These trees only took five years to mature, unlike their other varieties which took a decade, and it proved to be economical due to the ease of growing it. And so as the Meiji Restoration occurred and the new government wanted cherries to unite the people, they used this tree and had mostly replaced all others in key Tokyo locations with this tree. They also planted them in castle grounds, linking them to the idea of great warriors and the idea of fighting, which only added to darkening their imagery. And so by the beginning of the 20th century, almost a third of Tokyo's key areas were now made up of purely Somei Yoshino. All celebrations over the coming years also led to the government planting more trees as part of their celebrations. New parks would be christened with these cherry trees. The enthronement of new emperors meant more would be planted in celebration. And not just in Tokyo at this point, but throughout Japan to expand the reach of the Somei Yoshino and the ideology that they were trying to push on the people. This tree that they were using as a symbol of not only sacrifice and death, this tree was also now unconsciously promoting the idea of a collective. The planting of these cherry trees stopped the sheer variety of blossoms from being seen that once were everywhere in Japan. The flower of the people was slowly being shaped into one uniform image, a uniformity that would do as the country and the emperor wished them to do. There were some who did question this ideology though, but the government had by now outlawed this, stating that questioning the establishment was a treasonable offence after passing the Maintenance of the Public Order Act in 1925. And so, even though there were some who saw what was happening and wanted to speak out about it, the government had made it treasonable to do so. And that brings us to World War II. So World War II breaks out, and as Japan, towards the end, they see themselves losing, the government needed to cling to something, and they clung to using the cherry blossoms to keep the people wanting to fight. And as the idea of losing the war was simply out of the question for the country, they began to try and persuade the public and its pilots that kamikaze was their next viable option. And so they once more pushed the image of the falling blossoms. In fact, Admiral Takijiro Onishi, who is the so-called inventor of kamikaze, even wrote his own poem to give to the pilots, and it went as follows. Today in blossom, tomorrow scattered by the wind, Life is so like a delicate flower. How can one expect its fragrance to last forever? I did manage to find, just before we recorded today, another version of the poem. Today in flower, tomorrow scattered by the wind. Such is our blossom life. How can we think its fragrance lasts forever? And so with the government pushing the idea of kamikaze and it, it, it did work, we do know that it did happen. The kamikaze squads were grouped with the names of Shikishima, Yamato, Asahi, and Yamazakura. Each of these names linking to poems by someone known as Norinaga Motoori's poems on cherry blossoms. I found out that 
Most kamikaze pilots were between 17 and 25 years old. Young people who had once been exempt from the war were now being conscripted as Japan needed more people to fight. And so these young men perhaps were used to again symbolize the idea of young blossoms, young life that hasn't been around for a long time, young blossoms which also don't last for a long time. It's so heavy and I'm just, I'm sitting here going, oh dear God, I mean, I knew about it, but I didn't know like that they were so young because we, you know, you learn about some of this stuff, but we don't always go into to such detail and to realize that there's some of them were just so young. I mean, I've seen letters written by like kamikaze pilots, like on, on um, like the, sometimes we watch documentaries and have seen it. So one of these kamikaze pilots was known as Kazuki Kamitsu. And he was only 20 years old when he joined and when he gave up his life for the war. And he wrote his own poem, which went as follows. For the glory of the emperor, what is there to regret? As a young cherry, life is most worthy when falling. Others did write as well to their parents, and they did write letters which did relate to the cherry blossom ideology. I have to thank Heather for this because I did see this in a news article that she sent me. And one of the letters went as follows. Dear parents, please congratulate me. I have been given a splendid opportunity to die. This is my last day. The destiny of our homeland hinges on the decisive battle in the sea to the south, where I shall fall like a blossom from a radiant cherry tree. We have another poem that another pilot did write. I'm not sure the name of this pilot, but he wrote the following. The cherry blossoms are falling, one after another. I also want to fall now, leaving the scent in Yamato country. And later we have a letter that he wrote to one of the other pilots, which said, You and I are cherry blossom brothers, blooming together in the military academic garden. Having blossomed, we must scatter. Let us fall magnificently for our country. And there was even a song sung by the kamikaze pilots, and some of the lyrics went as follows. What's important is the flowers falling. If you are a man, just act and fall. The idea that the government was trying to pass at the time had worked. People were associating now these blossoms with the idea of sacrificing themselves. From the information that we have here, there is definitely an association between the brevity of the flowers and the brevity of the life that they are expected to give from these people who have resigned themselves to dying. So as we know, Japan did surrender in the end, and the government found themselves with an ideology that hadn't worked for them. And so they needed to distance themselves from it. They needed to, in a way, bring the imagery back to how it once was before. And we do see the Somei Yoshino did come back rather quickly after the war. The Japanese cities were bereft of color now from the bombings that they had been subjected to. And like I said, though they were distancing themselves from the ideology of the trees of death, they still planted these trees in the thousands, likely due to their quick growth and their delicate beauty. In fact, this began as early as 1948, not long after the war. And now this variety actually does consist of 9 out of 10 trees in the urban areas of Japan. And by 1951, we see the first publications of the cherry blossom forecasts appearing 
appearing by the meteorological agency, which soon led to the Hanami viewing parties, which are now a big part of Japan to this day. So overall, it's, I don't want to put too much of my opinion in here, but it still is very evident that the cherries being saved is still a lot more on Ingram, because even after the war, the government wanting to quickly bring back the beauty of their country, which is completely understandable in my opinion, they still use this variety that was quick and easy to propagate and to grow, but one that hadn't even existed for a hundred years at this point. They weren't relying on cherry blossoms that had been around for thousands of years in their country. They were using a new variety that was new to Japan. They were using the new cherry trees because they were fast growing and beautiful to be able mm. to rebuild the country because of the, the damage that had happened during the war. Mm. And so I want to return back to Ingram. The war is over now. The cherry ideology is going back to its old roots. But sadly still, most of the cherry varieties are still in Ingram's back garden. Blossoms had definitely been bombed and lost in Japan during the war. But luckily Ingram's house was unscathed. The oh. blooms he had rescued had been growing safely in his garden throughout the war. Like we said, he'd spent the war in the volunteer service, but over this time he had still watched his blooms thrive. And so in 1948, around the same time that Japan was once again planting the Somei Yoshino, he published the book called Ornamental Cherries, which detailed all 129 cherry varieties that he had, dedicating it to all who have planted cherry trees, whatever their creed, caste, or color. By now, such was his fame that even the Queen of England had become interested in the cherry trees and had them planted in various owned properties of the royal family. By the 50s and 60s, we do see that Collingwood seems to have lost some of his passion for the trees. He was, after all, now well into his 70s. Most of his cherry enthusiast friends had now died, and he had come to the realization that the trees made by man, the trees he had hybridized, did not live as long as natural cherry trees. They only lived for around 40 to 50 years. It was around this time he started to bring together everything and written over his lifetime to try and write some form of autobiography. And he even turned his attention back to ornithology in these later years. On November the 29th, 1979, his wife Florence sadly died at the age of 97, leaving Ingram alone in their big home. Ingram continued on, reaching his 100th birthday, and to recognize his achievements, a botanist called Michael Zander came to his home to map the trees Ingram had started collecting all those years ago. By now, several of the trees were gone due to their short lifespan. Some, like the Hokusai, Imosei, and Taihaku, still remained, but others, like I said, had unfortunately gone. By now, there were 40 or 50 trees, much less than the 120 so varieties that he had once had. And so the spring of 19... 81 would be Ingram's last. We know that the Kusa bloomed, then the Yamazakura bloomed, soon followed by the Hokusai and the Taihaku, until finally Ingram died peacefully as the Imose shed its blooms from his garden on May 19th, 1981. And so I want to finish on a poem, a poem by Saigyo Hoshi, because I think it fits in well with Ingram's passing. Let me die in the spring under the blossoming trees, let it be around that full moon of Kisaragi month.
And that is the second half of my cherry blossoms. When I was initially doing the research for the second part, I didn't realize we would be delving so much into World War II. I thought we would be keeping it more to Ingram himself. However, I thought it was interesting to show the changing of the cherry blossoms in Japan. And I think it was relevant to mention it at this point because I wanted to then show that even after the war, there was no attempt made, at least, at least initially, to bring back the old varieties. They still stuck to their guns and kept this easy-to-maintain variety. I think when you do a show like this, there is the, the want to include opinions, to give your beliefs on the ideas and things. So I just want to quickly say that the sources we have used for this episode are from Japanese authors. Um, and we try to keep it as factual as possible. We try to keep... I wouldn't say keep our opinions to ourselves, but I think you get what I'm trying to say, I hope. We wanted to try to present the information in a respectful way um, that honored the historical importance of it, as well as the fact that this information does need to be shared. Um, something that often comes up in many topics of history discussions is that those who do not do not learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. So I think it's really important that even though it's difficult and hard to talk about that we need to have an awareness of that information so that we can try not to repeat the same things that happened in the past. And I, I think that yeah, and one of the reasons why we decided that the sin view was just not a good topic to touch on today is because it those there is a lot for sin view, but their main idea is as um, like comic and satire, and there are some sin view which we will touch about next time um, that do deal with some historical ideas. Um, at this point we don't feel that it is to present the information in a respectful way we don't have the knowledge at this point to be able to present it in a respectful way so it's a more complicated subject and that requires us to try to take our time to research as much as possible to be able to present that information as respectfully as we as we can so yeah i had no idea last week that we would be going into this topic which i'm i'm glad that we did even though it, it is it is really heavy and difficult, but in the midst of that information, this is there's that the idea of the the botany from from um, Mr. Ingram as well. So there is certain questions I had regarding um, just some of the the botany topics. I mean, there's there's a lot to there's a lot of information in this episode. It's not just World War II. It's also the botany. It's the that friendship ties, it's the drive for wanting to know more to preserve the history of beauty. Um, so there, there are other questions I want to just kind of go back to the beginning where you were talking about the transportation of bringing the trees over. I was, I was really interested in that. I'm, I'm not very knowledgeable about plants, I know a tiny bit, but you mentioned using like the daikon radishes, which I thought was interesting because I did not realize that there were daikons in England at the time. I also found that very strange when I read it myself because, you know, you say daikon, you associate it with Japan, I feel. But it makes sense because if he had gone to Japan, he would have brought back 
plenty of plants. I think, you know, if the idea of the invasive species maybe hadn't quite started or it wasn't as prevalent or it'll be fine. I'll just grow it here. It'll be fine. And using the radishes and then the potatoes, I was thinking too, like the acidity of daikon radishes. I was wondering if that had an effect on it too, because they can be quite, um, if you've ever eaten, you've eaten, I'm sure you've eaten raw daikon or you've had it grated on something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it, it has some acidity to it, depending on if you get the, the white part of the green part and depending how you cut it. So I was wondering about, the, <laughs> I was wondering, is it the pH is the proper terminology? The pH of the daikon radish versus the pH of a potato. Oh, you're wondering if the pH of the radish also was too if high. The, the, the balance of the acidity. Yeah, and that because it's a science, which I'm like, I'm also not a scientist. <laughs> so you're thinking potentially maybe if the radishes had a more acidic pH than a potato, it may have inadvertently as well attacked it. Played a royal a royal played a role in the demise of the cuttings that were sent. I was wondering. I, I think that is very just a question I had about a science question in the midst of the botany. So I, I that I pulled that out. So the book that Mr. Ingram wrote, is this available today? Can we see it? You know, when I found out that this book existed, I was very interested in trying to get it for the library. And every bookseller online that I have found that has it, has it out of stock. Uh. I have not been able to find it. Um, so I'm not even sure what the price would be. So from the looks of it, it is out of print. And if you want to get it, you're, you'll be looking for pre-owned copies of the first edition that's all i've found so yeah if anyone can find it please send us a link on our website so we can add it to our growing collection on japan and its histories it would definitely be very useful for us but unfortunately no i have not been able to find it sounds like a good book hunt so i yeah i think Thank you for sharing this story today. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad to know more history of cherry trees here. I mean, I think the the idea that many people have is that that idea of spring, and to know that there is more information about that, more information about the cherry trees than than many people might be aware. It's a, it's a really good thing to learn. And it definitely, I think next year when the cherries bloom, you know, looking at them a little bit, maybe a little bit differently, still enjoy them and their, their loveliness and the brightness and the welcoming of spring, but definitely a little more contemplative and reflective. So, but I'm really, it's really amazing and fascinating to me that there are people who dedicate so much of their lives to preserving nature and like conservation and that want to save that historical aspect of, of something that has been inspiration in you know poems and songs and art in Japan's long history so many things have those cherry blossoms on them like so many different paintings um different just different items, different objects, and so many poems, so many poems that we've both in encountered about the cherry blossoms. So I'm glad that he he's spent so much of his life to dedicate, and I'm glad that 
the friendships that he made allowed like between the, between the two different countries of friendships that, that, that those the men that became friends that allowed for the preservation to happen and to be able to share the cultures and really inspiring and it's it's so hard to be able to put this into right words i feel like it just can i'm just glad that you found it and i'm glad that you shared it and i'm really want to read that book i'm putting in my request now please send that book to me <laughs> oh you want to check the book out the library i want to check the book out of the library i might have to i'll probably end up buying my own copy but true well i'm glad that you found it interesting like we said it was a a topic that went a bit into things we didn't expect we hope we did it justice but i did say i would do a book recommendation for today so the book that was of great help in undertaking this research was a book called Cherry Ingram, The Englishman Who Saved Japan's Blossoms. The book is by the Japanese author Naoko Abe, and you can find that pretty much anywhere online if you wish to purchase it and read for yourself more about the history of Collingwood Ingram. So, Heather, what are we going to do next week for our dear listeners? Why, I believe we are going to be doing... So we had a request to do the kappa by one of our listeners. So we will endeavor to find as many interesting stories and histories about these strange water creatures for you by next week. We're also hopefully going to do a short bonus one next week. We found some interesting, something small and something interesting about a poem that we read before and how it ties to some certain aspects of Japanese history so hopefully get that for you out next week as well but yeah thank you again everyone for listening today we hope you enjoyed the second part of our tale about cherry blossoms but I think that's pretty much everything from me this week that's me as well all right then so until next week guys matane matane if you've enjoyed the Japan Archives, please consider checking out historyofjapan.co.uk, a database we are making on Japanese history. You can also find the show notes for all our episodes here. If you're on Instagram, you can follow my account over at nexus underscore travels, that's N-E-X-U-S underscore travels. We also have a Facebook and Twitter page, which you can find at Japan Archives. If you're interested in little slices of life in Japan, be sure to check out my website over at heatheroveryonder.com. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, have anything you'd love to hear about, head on over to historyofjapan.co.uk and send us a message. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a rating and review over on iTunes. Thank you again for listening, guys. Until next time, bye. Matane.